like to march around planet Earth with the illusion of control. It's an illusion. We are at all times in the unknown. And, and that is both exhilarating and terrifying for many of us. And when we partner with psychedelic compounds and plants, we are more actively like confronting the unknown. Hi, I'm Zoe. Hi, I'm Erica. Hey, Erica. This is our podcast. Well, what do we do on the podcast? Uh, we talk to wellness experts. Well, what do we talk about? Mm, wellness stuff. And why are we doing this? Because we want to have an inclusive conversation about things that you can actually use and apply to your life. Right. We don't think that wellness should feel preachy. We think it should feel like everybody can participate. That's right. So if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Give us five stars. They're all free. All of the above. All of the above. And think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. Lauren Taos is a licensed psychotherapist practicing ketamine-assisted psychotherapy, also known as CAP, K-A-P. She is in LA. She is accessible. She is a wealth of knowledge. She has, she has a podcast. She has a podcast called Embodied Life, which is incredible. She has... Very impressive guests who know a whole of a hell lot more <laughs> than you or I. And it's, um, you know, it's focused on, oh God, getting out of your head and into your body or somehow getting into both in a more holistic way. And um, she she interviews some some great um, leaders in, in, you know, specifically in this MAPS space um, doing work in like uh, with psychotropics, psilocybin, um, MDMA, ketamine. Anyway, for this episode, we basically talked about um, a lot of things that rhyme, like the <laughs> tissues. She the has issues, amazing rhyming. What? The issues are in the tissues. The issues are in the tissues. That, well, the body keeps the score we had heard, but the you issues in the one. tissues. That's a great book if you haven't read. I don't even want to spoil because there's so many good ones, but yeah, lots of but, good. Um, but we focus mainly on ketamine. That's what's legal. Because that's what's legal in the United States. But believe you me, uh, good old psilocybin, we'd be all over it um, if that yeah. were available. It's coming. It's, it's coming. 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 Um, I've got a little, little micro pose here. Nice. I mean, that's a big, it's a big thing. That's a big container for small okay. doses. This is like, I think this was actually my grandma's. Oh my God. Yeah, that's, that's a lot. I like it. But uh, Lauren Taos, she she's great. Have a listen. She's got lots of great information. Yeah. Yeah. Go make your appointment now. Field trip. Field trip is a way. I know. Yes. We'll put yeah. it in the show notes or whatever people do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a listen. Enjoy. So then let's kick it off and say welcome to Lauren Taos. Welcome, Lauren Taos. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. We are so excited to talk to you about all of this good stuff around the world of psychedelic assisted therapy because it is it seems to be the conversation everywhere right now, which is very exciting for all of us in the mushroom space, even if our mushrooms are not psychedelic, just because plant medicine is really what is the most compelling topic, I think. So can you just give us like a quick overview or not even quick, but like, how did you arrive at this? Because this obviously, this modality has been around for quite some time, but it's really only reaching the kind of national conversation now. And before there was psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, there has been psychotherapy. So how did it, what, what has been your sort of path to get, you know, to start out in the world of mental health and then land where you are? In a nutshell, it's from pain to purpose and my own work healing myself and healing my relationships and getting into right relationships with myself and the people that I love and the planet, really. I really, I think that my gateway drug was yoga and I met that at a time of great need. I was, uh, like many women, struggling with body image and struggling with eating and nourishing myself. And I, you know, I was diagnosable anorexic, was very, very underweight and at war with my body and at war with myself. And at 18, I went to my first yoga class and I'm 40, so that was a long time ago. And I had an experience that in many ways, I, I think was psychedelic in my body and with my breath that felt 
kind and aligned and I continued on my mat and my mat is still very central to how I live uh, and so much as giving me a place and a space every day to to really check in with what's going on inside of my vessel, inside of my body that is, of course, allowing me to have this experience called life. Mm. And at that same time, I also started going to therapy myself and I needed it. I, I really needed it. And I had some... Specifically for eating disorders or in general? Yeah. And, and the eating disorder was a symptom of a much bigger problem, right? The the conditions and the symptoms are, are signals in many ways of health. The body's saying, hey, there's a problem here and it needs a dress. And, and so, yes, for me, the, the kind of red flag was anorexia. And it was indicating, you know, a lot of uh, unprocessed anger and grief and fear and energies that I didn't know how to manage on my own. So, I mean, I, I look at my eating disorder as an addictive process. And when we're talking about addiction, we're, we're really talking about untreated pain and, and people get from their addictions, things that are actually very good, right? I got a sense of control when I didn't feel that I had any, I got a sense of uh, self-worth, right? And I, I wouldn't, I now have it in, in healthier places, but I, I felt good things out of that, that, uh, you know, when you ask anybody who's struggling with an addiction, they're going to tell you, oh, I, I felt alive, felt confident, you know, I was able to escape my problems. And, and these are good things. So it's just important to kind of frame that when when we have a tendency to look at people who struggle with addiction with so much judgment. Mm-hmm. So for me, I, I went to therapy and and I had the good fortune of having skilled, uh, heart-centered providers to support me into, you know, the beginnings of, of health and, and right relations. And then from there, it was, it was a while before I had a psychedelic experience of my own, but that first journey was a real arrival into my heart and into a more kind of spiritual way of being with myself. And, you know, as a kid, I had existential distress. My older brother was afraid of E.T. and the boogeyman, and I'm wondering what happens after you die. And the, the psychedelic realms really guarded me in, in those questions and ultimately invited me into a spirituality that feels very authentically my own. And, you know, I became a therapist along the way. So, we're, you know, this is like a 22-year chunk of time. And when I became present through my own psychedelic experiences to the ways in which I could weave worlds uh, of, you know, yoga, which is really a practice of connection, we suffer from disconnection and and bringing sort of body-based interventions into the psychotherapeutic space, uh, both personally and in the ways in which I serve other humans. And then on top of that, partnering with these really potent tools and allies of plants and compounds, I, I just knew that that was my path. And it was my path because it, it served my personal healing and development. And, and, and that was one that had a very significant spillover into my family. So I, I really work a lot from my own space of transformation with specific, you know, interventions and skills and trainings that I have, you know, learned and, and also just with the full knowledge that people can really change and, and live lives that are, are, are good and that feel good. Yes. What type of therapy were you doing when, when you first started? I, you know, my training is, is as a social worker. And, and what I love about social work is that it takes a systems approach. It, it, it doesn't look at an individual from a lens of, of, of pathology, right? And our so much of our medical system of which nurses, therapists, doctors, psychologists, et cetera, are a part, tend to look at like the individual as the problem rather than the environment as also part of biology. Now, I also was trained in, and learned through additional trainings and had a, an, a lens that was more gestalt-oriented, um, psychodynamic and cognitive behavioral, which is useful and also very limited. So it was through my own kind of continued process that I met internal family systems work and continued to explore how to work with the body in therapy. Because as we know, and thank you to people like Bessel van der Kolk and Peter Levine and Gabor Mate, that the body keeps the score and that the issues are in the tissues. 
And what we don't... I haven't heard that one before. I haven't either. I like that. (laughs) And what we don't express, we suppress and repress. And that then shows up as disease and dis-ease of all kinds. So the body's going to surface what we're not attending to. And there's, of course, content that is you know, suppressed. And then there's content that's repressed. And all of this is adaptive, right? We're doing it for a good reason, something that we probably learned very young. And how we kind of unlearn and relearn and, and get into a, a flow of living that, that allows for authenticity is the work. Um, yes, those are a lot of helpful rhymes, by the way. And I think that we could actually start to weave together um, a book for children just using as a beginner. Um, songs. And it all starts when we're so small, really. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I'm such an advocate for family work. And in fact, in my practice with, with clients, I'm shifting into a model where I don't have an individual client. The client is a family. Because so often in my work, people are having conversations with me that they need to have with their husband, wife, mother, father, brother, sister, and and someone. So I want to support those conversations so that the role of therapist becomes like less necessary because mm-hmm. they're actually doing the work that they need to do in the in their key relationships. Yeah, that's so funny. I always find that I'm just like, oh, I just had the conversation with my therapist that I was should have had with my my X, Y, or Z, and then I'm like, oh. I feel better. My job here is done. But then you go back and you're like, oh, but that was never communicated. And I'm right back where I started. But yeah, it is a tricky position. And it's a great practice field in that way. Like the therapeutic dynamic is a great practice field, but the game is outside. Yes, that's right. Right. That's that's, that's where you actually put it into practice. Mm -hmm. Um, So going back to your first psychedelic experience, because again, we're saying now this is, you know, you're going back about 20, 22 years, which is the first time that I did yoga too. Actually, it's funny that you said that I was doing the math. I didn't have quite as transformative an experience as you did, I think probably because I went to New York sports club and maybe I should have gone to a proper studio. (laughs) But I I still called yoga fit and it worked for me, but it was was not, it was probably a similar context. Well, I still do it. So, you know, it obviously stuck, but when you had your psychedelic experience, I mean, was it completely recreational and you went to the place where you sort of applied this kind of therapeutic concept or was it already intentional? Because I'm thinking 22 years ago, you know, we all did a little bit of something interesting in college or most of us did, but never with an eye on therapy, maybe for an eye on like, oh, I just want to sort of expand my thinking, but like who fucking knows what that means when you're 18, 20, 24 years old. So like, what was your initial intention with the psychedelic experience and how did it kind of unfold and develop into something that felt more like substantive? So just to kind of correct my history, I I called my yoga class for a a psychedelic experience. Mm -hmm. And it was my first, that first practice. It wasn't with psychoactives until much later. Oh, much I, I, later. Okay. Yeah, I was, and, and I was a good kid and drugs were not on a good, good girl list. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of fear and judgment around what these things are. And it kept me sort of real distant from, from any sort of engagement. And when I did finally have my first experience, it was very intentional. Okay. And, and I went with a lot of trepidation. And whenever someone is preparing for a first experience or truly any experience like this at all, nervous energy is appropriate and healthy. And if someone isn't nervous, that's a little bit more concerning to me. Mm-hmm. Well, how can you talk a little bit about just backing up for a minute? So I don't want to say you specialize in, but you practice CAP, right? Sure Kennedy. do. Uh-huh. Um, which uh, I'm very curious about. I actually got very close doing uh, ketamine-assisted psychotherapy and then uh, was sort of derailed by my therapist, my regular therapist, who thought I was a bit hasty. But we'll get into that later um, because I'm really (laughs) curious to hear your opinion on that. (laughs) And so, yeah. So how did you, how do you incorporate that into your practice? At which point do you say like, okay, we're going to do, you know, talk therapy, whatever you want to call it. But maybe now we've reached a point where we want to experiment with CAP. And before we even get that from you, can you explain what it, what ketamine therapy actually is and what it's used for? 
Yeah, thanks for sharing that. It's uh, ketamine-assisted psychotherapy is a really powerful uh, intervention and way of working with with the human heart and mind. And you know, I'm I'm an advocate for the plants and the compounds. So I'm I'm trained by MAPS and the MDMA-assisted psychotherapy protocol for complex PTSD. I've also trained and learned in shamanic realms with plant medicines. And, you know, I have been specializing and focusing on ketamine for the last several years because it's a legal medicine, because I can work with it with my license medically sound, right? And I I don't have that same freedom with the other uh, plants and, and compounds at this time. So initially, I actually had quite a lot of judgment around ketamine because I had seen it engaged with in recreational contexts that, quite frankly, seemed alarming to me. And, you know, ketamine is a dissociative anesthetic. So if someone is looking to leave or numb, it's a great drug. It's a great drug. And, you know, it has many different applications. It is, yes, a horse tranquilizer, people often ask. That was my high school experience. I'm like, oh my God, what is that horse tranquilizer my friends are doing? And like, they're going to go into like a K-hole or whatever. Yeah, Yeah, which I call transformational space, right? The K-hole for me is transformational space. Yeah. And it's all very setting specific. We talk in the space of psychedelics about set setting and dose as sort of the three prong kind of uh, pillars that need to be attended to for a good experience, right? And a, a good experience can be very challenging and still good and generative, right? But if we want to do this safely, like those three things really need to be accounted for. And and, and back to ketamine, it's also uh, very commonly used in pediatrics, in surgeries with with children, uh, it's a it's one of the top ten global medications, so it's used in every major world hospital. It's it's so only how did it get such a bad reputation for being solely associated with horse tranquilizers and becoming this party drug that people only took in like vast quantities? Like where was that sort of nuanced level that we all missed until a few years ago? I mean, there's a whole lot of storytelling around drugs. Right. And we come from like the just say no era from the, you know, drugs are bad era from the you're going to turn into a derelict and an addict era. And, you know, there is, you know, engagement with all of the substances that is, you know, maybe not healthy and um, needs attention. But in the space of ketamine assisted psychotherapy, I see in the space as as it becomes wider and as it gets gets more commercialized that there's a lot of companies that are really just like doling out drugs mm-hmm. and if you're going to call something therapeutic it, it has to be relational so at this point people often come to me for cap like they're they're coming and they that's what they want that's what they're looking for i don't engage medicine unless i know who's who in your zoo and where you're looking to go and grow that means i need to spend time with you Okay. There's so many good rhymes, so here. rhymes here. I mean, like you before this, you were, I don't know, DJ Rev or something. He's like Dr. Seuss. <laughs> dog. I know. I, 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 well, I'm glad, I'm glad it makes you, I'm glad you like, I'm glad you like, but it's what resonates with people. Go and grow and get into Who's in your zoo issues. I need, I need to know. I need to know. And, and I need to feel very comfortable as a provider that I can hold you in, in your process. And, and in the opening of Pandora's box, which these medicines do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and in many ways, I think people come to therapy or psychedelics because something inside of them needs to die, right? And, and it's a, a thought pattern, a, an identity, a behavior, a job, a relationship, uh, all kinds of different things. And I need to make sure that, that I feel I can hold you when you're dying. And, and I want to also really make sure that the client feels very comfortable with me. So I encourage anyone and everybody to be in the space of interviewing providers. Someone mm-hmm. might be the quote unquote best at whatever it is that they that they're lauded to do and might not be an accurate fit. Right. So for me, I first take the time to build relationships with people. And then I work with medicine. So I generally will work with four to six treatments with people spaced, you know, sometimes a week apart, sometimes more than a week apart. Sometimes there will be multiple sessions in a week. It really depends. It's a, you know, there's no one size fits all treatment plan when it comes to this thing. And, you know, you had asked, what is this really good for? Uh, Ketamine has been most researched and proven to be effective for disrupting treatment resistant depression and anxiety. And when we talk about treatment resistant, people aren't resisting treatment. 
the the treatments aren't working. They're not they're not good enough. And we really need to find and identify more effective solutions that are going to translate into the results that people are looking for. What about post-traumatic? Isn't it, is it just depression, anxiety, or is ketamine? No, ketamine is great for many things. I have definitely served many people well with, with, you know, PTSD, with eating disorders, with it's, it's great for OCD. It's really, really, really a potent interrupter of of suicidality. I think it's maybe the best uh, drug for end of life care. And, you know, we're all going to die and we don't have enough conversations about that. God, it kills me. No pun intended, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, to not have that conversation, you're saying. Right. I mean, and, and, you know, as I mentioned, much of my journey is fueled by my own experiences and both my sister and my mother have passed. And so I've had an intimate, you know, relationship with death and dying and both of them were sick and that those were kind of long processes. So I know that there's like an initiation involved in, in losing someone and that, and how important it is to have the conversations. In many ways, I work for my mom. I, I believe that my mother would have lived longer if she had access to these kinds of interventions. Mm-hmm. And uh, on the flip side, I've, I converted my 75-year-old father to psychedelic medicine. And in the space of three short years of, of journey work, uh, the man's a different man. And, and, and truly, and this is a guy who also went to psychoanalysis for decades, literally decades, sometimes twice a week. And what is his profession? My father's a physician and he's uh, he's now my main squeeze MD. I work with a number of other medical providers, but I do most of my work with my father. That's amazing. So you converted him. Not only did you get him to try it, but you got him to actually assist you in assisting others. Yeah, I did. It's the thing I'm most proud of. It's, it, it is the coolest thing I've done bar none. And, you know, in many ways, I feel like I've birthed him into another version of himself where he was a staunch atheist and now has a spiritual life. And so many of his fears around death and dying have, have softened and they're not gone, but they're, they're much more manageable. And, you know, he's more generous. He's a better listener. He says he's never been happier. And it's proof that an old dog can learn new tricks if a dog wants to learn. An old dad can learn new tricks. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, truly, it's extraordinary. And and when, you know, I I was persistent in the conversation with him, which scared him naturally. Yeah. And ultimately through his, you know, willingness to, you know, trust his daughter and uh, explore through research as a physician would, he was like, "Hmm, maybe I understand there's clinical applications and ultimately like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a whirl. So using your dad as an example, because it's just so close and tangible, you said that he was, you know, suffering from a few things, fear of, you know, end of life, um, being one of them. How did that show up? And then how did it sort of dissipate post? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think my my dad has carried a lot of, uh, you know, very classic Jewish fear and trauma. Uh, one thing I, I like to just remind people is that we're all Uh, informed by our ancestry, right? There's a lot of research around how experience is transgenerationally passed along. And this isn't just like, you know, woo-woo stuff. It's like there's actual biological changes that happen in our experience. So, you know, my, my dad came from, you know, parents who were very close to it all in terms of World War II and, and the Holocaust, and they were safe. But like, some of their family members weren't safe. Some of their family members didn't make it. And, and the fear then is, is very alive, right? So my dad ha- carried a lot of uh, paranoia um, and he was nervous about money and, and he was nervous about safety and he was nervous about other people and, you know, felt, you know, like they don't, you don't want them to know you're Jewish, right? And now, I mean, he's, he's so welcoming of others, He's, as I mentioned, was an, an atheist, like a, a self-proclaimed proud atheist. Now he talks about spirit space and, and prayers. Mm. And <laughs> I mean, at, in his latter 70s, like this was not a part of this man's life. Yeah. And, you know, his whole affect and demeanor of, and way of being has softened. Right. And as a man of science, I mean, you know, he's a, he's a MD. It's so, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Can you talk a little bit about, or I mean, can we get into, because I think, again, he's a great example. And I think having this conversation with, you know, people in the circle that, you know, that Zoe and I are in, like, there's a lot of people who are totally informed and plugged into this, you know, this concept. And then there's a lot of people who totally have respect and and appreciation for me and Zoe and don't think that we are like woo-woo, wacko in any way, but would literally never, ever touch this type of therapy, even though they probably could benefit from it more than most we know, because there is such a stigma and there's such a fear factor. And it's like this unknown, I mean, I know we've stigmatized it just as we have with all drugs that actually, you know, plant medicines that can do good. But can you talk about like really specifically, like what the actual experience is? Because I think people want to know, like, how do I take this? What happens? Am I tripping? Like what, like they really, there's just such great mystery surrounding this that I really would like to kind of debunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, we'd like to march around planet Earth with the illusion of control. It's an illusion. <laughs> we are at all times in the unknown. And, and that is both exhilarating and terrifying for many of us. And when we partner with psychedelic compounds and plants, we are more actively like confronting the unknown. And, you know, in, in, the, in the research and work around these types of interventions, I, I struggle because it's consciousness. And so it's unpredictable and in many, many ways, unmeasurable. And, and so, so there's an element of the unknown that a person needs to be willing to actively engage. And, and there's, there's something that's very beautiful about that. Now, with regards to ketamine therapy, ketamine is, is a legal medicine, right? So people who might be nervous get to know that they're actually working within a, a Western medical system that is going to attend to all of the variables that would be necessary to attend to, to ensure for safety, right? And, and so, so this is a safe experience. As well, ketamine is one of the few you know, psychoactives that uh, a person can continue in a sort of regimen with other psychotropic medications, SSRIs, SNRIs, you know, the antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications that many people are, are taking. Uh, I, I want to be clear that I, I am absolutely for those medications. I think a lot of people develop a dependency on them and remain on them for too long. Now, these medications are not tending to the root of the problem. They're tending to symptoms. And we often need to stabilize our symptoms in order to kind of dig a bit deeper, right? So when someone is stabilized and supported in a good way with other psychotropic meds, they can still have safe experiences with ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in the realm of CAP, people are working in many ways and in many ways that are good. It's still, it's still very much a pioneering space. You can work in psycholytic doses, which basically means anxiety reducing. So a person can have a small amount of this medicine in a therapeutic dynamic and relationship where they are going to then have more access to themselves, to their emotions, to exiled parts, to maybe repressed or suppressed parts can kind of come online with more ease. And then in in that context, there's, there's an actual kind of back and forth dialogue, therapeutic conversation that's happening. In, in the psychedelic dosing, there is a, a purposeful disruption of ordinary mind. And an individual will, you know, my sessions with psychedelic dosing are three hours. The first hour looks like a regular therapy session. There will also be intention setting. I will work with a person's kind of protector parts that might be scared of, again, letting go of the illusion of control, what might come up, et cetera, like, you know, what's going to happen. And then in the second hour, the person will receive the medicine. Now, ketamine can be taken either intranasally uh, with a lozenge that dissolves in the mouth and needs to be swished around because it is absorbed through the glands. So it's like a 15-minute swish cycle, which most people don't love. That's okay. Intermuscular injections or intravenously. So I tend to work with the lozenges and the injections and mostly with the injections. And when a person receives the medicine, it lasts about 45 minutes to an hour, irrespective of the dose. And when I'm working at the higher dosing, again, purposeful interruption of ordinary mind, a person will put on an eyeful, cover their eyes and support an inward journey and a headset with a curated playlist to, to kind of guide and support with sound the, the happenings. At the end of that second hour, 
I'll remove the headset and we'll start the process of, of making meaning of what happened. And in those spaces, people often access repressed memory. People often have divine mystical encounters. A real, real spiritual content comes up. People have experiences of love, like deep, deep, profound love forgiveness people have you know visuals that you might kind of imagine in a more classic psychedelic sense and you know they they may have uh, experiential uh, sense of of forgiveness of of their anger of whatever like so so we're working more at the level of, of the consciousness and the ways in which consciousness dances with intergenerational transpersonal and collective content right so it's really juicy and then we we, we start to kind of unpack it in the third hour I will always make sure to contact the individual like 24 to 48 hours after that session to check in and then do like an integration session shortly in, in that kind of time frame as well. Because these medicines also, and, and many things do, but they uh, trigger new neural connections in the brain. So, so the default mode network quiets right? Your, your way of being, your personality traits, which are all adaptable and many adaptations, some of which are, you know, designed for survival, but aren't helping you anymore, aren't working anymore. And, and parts of the brain start dialoguing that have been maybe uh, foreign to each other. And, and this, this kind of creates a, a golden hour or days where really, really effective psychotherapy, which should be psychedelic in nature, can happen. And people can start to really anchor in new ways of being relating to themselves, other people in the world. That sounds intense. Sounds <laughs> I mean, it does. Yeah, I mean, you have me to, up. I mean, yeah. Um, not not intense, but it's 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 intensely like hopeful and exciting. Yeah, and a lot. It's a lot. And I imagine it's obviously more intense for some than others. Um, can you talk a little bit about the integration? Session. So what happens? So you've done all this work. You've done your three hours. It's got this sort of. Are what happens, you know, the next day or two days later, however, is it like a week after that you do an integration? I mean, session? I tried to, it's a week max. I'm going to check in immediately, like in 24 to 48 hours, with like maybe 15 minute kind of call, 20 minute call, 30 minute, whatever. And then I'll do an integration session like before the following week. Um, and, and, and again, there's no one size fits all treatment plan. And in, in the space of widening the work, I think that it presents challenges because you don't scale care and intimacy. You don't scale that. It's, it's just impossible. So to your question of integration, I like to say that life is, is an action sport and not a cognitive exercise. And so how do we move whatever is experienced as powerful, as accurate into our lives? That That is the work of integration, right? So that might involve conversations, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, that might involve like a certain decision making. I, I encourage people not to make any major decisions immediately after. Right, you're going to give yourself a 72 hour period at least to like sit back, rest, and digest. Like what happened? What do I? What, what do I want to do? Uh, I, I of course always will recommend self care to give the experience the gift of your own time and attention and reflection. A lot of people will re-listen to the music. Uh, I, I give my my clients a little journal exercise. I will also encourage you know more rest, quiet time. We we live very speedy lives, and and to slow it down long enough to to notice what actually do I need to do next? Like like what 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 do I need to kind of act my way into in order to live more authentically. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of case by case. And how, how many sessions does one typically do or need to do to feel the full effects? Again, there's no one size fits all treatment plan. Generally, I work with people with four to six sessions in close proximity to each other. The, the rubber band of character will snap people back to old ways fast and, and so we need to kind of steadily, consistently work the interruption into the, a new way of being. And, and my hope and belief is that people can actually anchor in, in truly sustained, transformed ways of, of being that allow for wholeness and health. I think like true transformation is possible. So you do the four to six and then that's effectively that's it? Or is there kind of like a check-in in six months or a year or... 
Not so necessarily. Some people will come back for like a booster session, like, okay, I'm, I'm, I need a little reboot here. And um, some people will, will be in continued therapy after a course of treatment. Mm-hmm. Just depends. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anybody who is like definitely not a candidate for this? Yes. I, when people have psychotic features, uh, or psychosis in 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 the family, you want to steer clear of this kind of work. Uh, it can trigger psychotic episodes for people who flirt with with that kind of pathology in, in their lives and in their histories. Uh, I, I there there is some work that's being done to explore whether that can be done safely and well. But generally speaking, that that's an area you're going to want to say like no to. Right. Um, Zoe, I'm not putting you on the spot and obviously we can edit or whatever, but I'm curious what, what did your doctor say that like, why did they suggest that this was not a good path for you? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I, I do cognitive behavior, like I've been seeing the same therapist for, I don't even know, eight years or something, seven years. Mm-hmm. And she's great. I love her. And she's seen me through some, you know, ups and downs and life milestones, children being birthed and, you know, all, you know, all the rest. But um, uh, there was like a very concentrated period where it was just like way too much, uh, just sort of like, you know, post I had like a four-year-old, a one-year-old, my mom had just died very suddenly, you know, like a year later, I was like totally traumatized by like one of the closest people, you know, in my life, like totally violating my trust. Like all these things just sort of happened. And then like pandemic, whatever, it was just like new business literally it was just this sort of like oh my god I consider myself to be pretty you know like I can work through some things um but I was like oh man this is just like this is a really intense moment and I feel totally traumatized on like every front and um so you know I had like taken a break from her actually over the pandemic um we had a few Zoom sessions, but I came back during this concentrated moment. I was like, hey, emergency session. I'm like, best to lose my shit. Like, I'm really... Um... And before I had even seen her, I started investigating ketamine therapy on my own. Um, and I was like, I think I want to try this. It just seems like... I know it's like... I wasn't having any sort of like suicidal. I definitely was not depressed, oddly. I think I was just having like an insane level of anxiety and like kind of... Term- like post-traumatic. Um, that was like too much. And so, um, I thought that would be a very interesting and, um, not quick way, but you know, I'm interested. My style is definitely more like, let's go deep. Let's just go deep immediately. And like, let's just do it. I'm not interested in like fucking SSRIs or anything, you know, I'm just not right. Like I'm not interested in spending like 10 years in talk therapy to like, maybe uncover whatever I don't even know is there. Maybe it's some intergenerational trauma that I had from like, you know, my mother, my father, who who's, they both certainly had their own situations, you know, so there's just so much there. And I'm like, ah, oh, TikTok, let's just get, let's get into it. So the more I learned about ketamine, the more intrigued I was. And I was like, oh God, you know what? I had done all this, all the sort of preliminary meetings through field trip and, um, it seemed like a great option and I was about to like schedule my first session. And I was like, you know, I'm going to check in with my therapist and I want to just like, you know, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. What do you think? And she was like, <laughs> I mean, I was like scheduling my appointment and, um, you know, she definitely was just like, Zoe, like you're, I don't think that, and she's really open minded I mean, this is not like, I was surprised by her reaction actually, which was, this is typically like a last resort kind of thing. And, you know, you're not really struggling with like depression or just like anxiety. Yes. But, um, you know, you're not struggling with like post-traumatic or, and I was like, I kind of am though, you know, like pretty sure I am. And so she somehow managed to convince me to just wait on that and instead talk to a prescriber to explore SSRIs to just like immediately like tamp down any like acute, like crazy anxiety I was having. Mm. And I gotta say, uh, I think I was misguided and it was sort of like an unfortunate misstep. And I'm, will definitely try 
ketamine and I spent about five hot seconds on an SSRI and I was like, nope, I like could not be more like, and again, I understand it works for so many people and like, I'm, you know, very thankful that they exist, but it was not the right, it was not the right combination for me. Uh, And I'm, I'm still surprised as I think about it now, even looking back, this is like a year later and I'm like, wow, what a weird um, derailment that was. Cause I, I really think I was on the right path. And, and I, I also couldn't believe how generously I was like given the opportunity to take as many SSRs as I wanted and Xanax like <laughs> and Valium and like, oh, I was like, whoa. And I, you know, like it's safe to say like I'm knock on wood in no danger of becoming addicted to this type of thing. Like I've ha- I've always hated like that, that feeling. I, I can't, I can't stand it. I don't like any kind of like numbness, mm. I don't like, like oxycodone, like none of it. Like I couldn't, I wouldn't even take it for like, you know, surgeries, but, um, but anyway, I'm curious to hear what, what, you think about that without, I mean, that was obviously like so top line and without having any kind of like background or more information. Yeah. I mean, this isn't a clinical diagnosis or assessment, but I can kind of respond to what you shared and thank you for sharing it. Yeah. I mean, I, I I don't know if, if your therapist is kind of really privy to what this type of work is. My dad likes to say that it's also for the betterment of well people. And I, and I believe that. Mm-hmm. That we can, you know, become more alive uh, and you don't need to really be s- deeply suffering, right? Uh, and it sounds like you were in, in quite a bit of struggle and, and dealing with a lot of anxiety, which this particular intervention is, is specifically good at managing and disrupting and, and supporting it, like the solution around yeah. uh, as well from, you know, all of the ways in which I've learned psychedelic medicine and you know, healing, it's always an inner directed approach. So, so the idea is that like you actually have your answers and you actually know how to heal yourself. And so it sounds to me like there was part of you that didn't listen to your own knowing around what was accurate for you. Yeah. And, you know, Gabor Mate talks a lot about the, the tension between uh, authenticity and attachment or belonging. And so often we compromise what's true for ourselves in order to maintain certain relationships, mm-hmm. right? And, and and there may have been a way in which, you know, in order to kind of maintain the relationship with your therapist, you, you let her kind of decide for you. Yeah. And, you know, we, we want to be checked in with professionals and simultaneously to be in, in the deepest listening to our, ourselves. And there's a lot of a miseducation in the medical system too, right? As I mentioned, we tend to be in pathological models. There's so much evidence that, you know, stress creates disease and, you know, racism creates asthma and, you know, autoimmune issues for people of color. This is like science. And, and we are impacted by our environment and we will, you know, as humans, we want to be in relationships and, and we will often like compromise ourselves in order to maintain relationships that that then creates a suffering for us. So it sounds to me like this could be like a great way to, to grow for you and to continue becoming more adept at managing stress and anxiety and, you know, learning self-regulation and maybe discovering what is underneath some of it. If, if there's still that energy in your life and you know, I think that human beings are are traumatized and anxious <laughs> and, and often depressed. And 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 to me, you know, we want to be happy, right? And and happiness requires uh, our ability to play the rest of the emotional keyboard. So if you want to be happy, get fluid in in grief, get fluid in fear, get fluid in anger. Healthy anger, like your no is important. And we talk, call it the terrible twos. You know, when kids start saying no, like, no, like they need to learn their boundaries. That's wonderful. And we, we should embrace them learning healthy individuation. Like, no, no. I mean, how often do we struggle saying no? And what's the price of that? Yeah. So the the brief bit that you shared, thank you for sharing. And it sounds like CAP would be, and certainly would have been, 
uh, great for you. Yeah. Um, yes. And there's still time. Because yeah. Still time. yeah. Tons well, of like, as exciting. soon as we get off this call, I'm going to like message my um, friend who's doing it in her clinic right now. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, it's a great option, but on that note, what, is there a group of just culturally speaking, is there any specific group that you wish would pay more attention to this type of therapy or you wish you could reach or um, offer this to? I mean, I, I, largely I'd like to reach the uninitiated. You know, I don't, I don't want to talk, preach to the, to the choir. And if I can preach to the choir and provide them with more information so that they can be more effective change makers in their individual lives and relationships, then I'm excited about that. But, you know, people are, are are taking drugs, whether or not they think they are. Like people are drinking coffee, eating chocolate, drinking wine, uh, taking the prescription meds. And, and I'm, I have no judgment about any of that. And, you know, there's so much judgment that we carry around certain kinds of drugs. And there was a whole political agenda around creating that, which was wildly effective, you know you know, the Nancy Reagan's just say no. Like, again, when people are involved in an addictive process, they're getting something that's good for them. And then like, it's some sort of experience of love, ultimately, that, you know, is unhealthy and harmful for them. But like, you don't just say no to love. Someone isn't choosing to be addicted to something. And also, people have partnered with psychoactive plants since the beginning of time across the world. And that there's nothing new here. This is this is ancient technology adapted for modern practice with some newer man-made tools that are really great. And, you know, I want people to, to live well. Uh, I think the only problem on planet Earth is mental health. Yeah. Oh, my God. We can do a whole other episode just on drug policy alone. I mean, my word. And I did, I did my, my clinical training in a, an inpatient drug and alcohol treatment facility that was populated by people as an alternative to incarceration. Mm -hmm. So I had a very intimate, like front row seat to the devastating harm of the drug war. And, and there is no science behind the ways in which the drugs were scheduled in the seventies. And, and, and it's all a, a bunch of really racist policy. It's just all racism. Yeah. Yep. That's right. Matters. Yes, it does. That initial kind of my clinical training in, in my experience was also like a bad trip because I didn't I didn't know. And so much of it was kind of protected from me as, you know, a, a white person with some modicum of privilege. And and I, I will never, ever forget what I learned there. And that kind of galvanized me into a direction of activism as well. Yes, everything should be legalized. That's it. We'll stop. <laughs> yeah. And then we, and then with, with a legal structure, we can ensure that drugs aren't cross-contaminated and people aren't having accidental overdoses okay. and okay. people know how to like, I mean, let's look at Portugal. Yeah. That's a whole separate kind oh, of, I'm like, did you wait just so what is it? What's today's day? It's September something. Um, if anyone just heard the the daily on, um, do you listen to the daily ever? No, they have a really good one. I'll send it to you after. Do. Um, it's all about this uh, clinic, this crazy wonderful doctor in Vancouver who's like giving out a lot of uh, illegal drugs and she's doing great work anyway hey but god I know our time is almost up but what else I mean I want to make sure that we cover all the things because there's just there's we could take it in so many directions again but any direction you want to take it particularly um, do you have anything I, I mean I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of end by saying that you know we are all really one you know, if if we if I say that we're connected, it implies that we're separate. We're all one, and and our health matters, and and our health can be changed. You know, when we're when we're working with with CAP or some sort of psychedelic assisted intervention, uh, we're working with consciousness, and we're often working with trauma content. And trauma isn't like what happened to you; it's what happened inside of you afterwards. If it was what happened to you, then it can't be changed. It can be changed. And it, and it can and there and there is an infinite amount of hope, and whatever it is that anyone is sitting with, like I assure you that this can be worked with in a good way, and that these you know compounds and plants can really support an accelerated process towards healthy living that you know where you can feel a sense of wholeness inside your being, which is which is your birthright. 
And and so for anyone who's listening who is struggling or who is in relationship and you know has a loved one who's struggling, uh, I, I invite you to just go a little bit deeper with this kind of exploration and start with the education, right? Like you know, never, never just take a drug. That's I'm not going to advocate for that ever. But these these are some of the most effective interventions for disrupting some of the stickiest pathological processes that we humans face. And, you know, we are in many ways in a mental health crisis of unprecedented proportions, and we all are needing help and support. And fortunately, like the in the widening of this work, there are uh, good solutions and, and ones that are more effective than CBT, right? You know, with the, with traumas in the body, it's not in the brain. It's yeah. it's in our it's in how we breathe. It's in how we you know pump our blood. It's 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 in it's in the the vessel. Yeah. So, you know, my practice, my trainings are embodied life, and and you can have a, an embodied life where you feel safe and good inside your skin, and uh, that that can translate into the way in which you experience. Uh, your experience. And I want that for, for everyone. Oh my God. Embodied. You have a great podcast as well. Love it. Um, yeah. How do we send people to find you and just absorb even Yeah, more? you can, uh, you can send them to my Instagram at lauren.taus or at embodied life therapy. And uh, yeah, I have trainings and I, I, I train other mental health providers, doctors, therapists, nurses, in terms of how to do this work. I do it in team. I believe in collaborative care. and. Um, yeah, just stay connected that way, I guess. Thank is, you. There a, is there a big lack of, of, of sorry, now I'm going to take this in a different direction, but um, do it's we need go. to have more people trained in this assisted? A hundred like, million percent. The, the level yeah. of need and demand absolutely overwhelms good trained people. And we we need as many, it's, it's an all hands on deck operation. And I'm trying to bring in more hands. And, and there's so much interest. People are so eager to learn and, and to explore in these ways. And it's not obvious necessarily how to do it well. So I, I really encourage people to be in the space of, of learning. Uh, I'm always learning. I'm absolutely a teacher. I love teaching. It's my favorite thing to do, but I'm a student first. I'm a student in this planetary classroom. I'm a student of consciousness. It's kind of hard to to, to learn all that, but um, I'm trying and, uh, and I'm out here working my heart and working my, my being and my body uh, and including it, right? I, I include myself in my care and, uh, and it feels really good. Well, you are doing great work and thank you. Yeah, it's truly amazing and inspiring work. Thank, thank you. you. All right. We'll let you go because we know you have, pandemic. sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So fun. I know you have people to go heal. I've got humans to support. I've got humans <laughs> to rub up on and support. So so here we go. Here we grow. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Lauren. Yeah, so Thank good. You. Thanks, Lauren. You're right, welcome. You can just log off and we'll stay on for a sec. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.